when we all get to heaven. These opportunities at meetings like this are just a taste of what we will enjoy for eternity, and it's a blessing to be with you tonight. Uh, we've looked forward to this meeting for some time and thankful for the amount of young people. And, uh, but anytime we have a meeting like this and there are a large number of young people, we tend to kind of shift the focus to them. Um, but God's Word is powerful, and God's Word is applicable to us at any stage of our life. And anything that we teach that may seem to be geared toward young people is just as applicable and important for us today as we consider our souls and our salvation and the eternity that Christ has prepared for His children. And tonight I want to start our study in John chapter 18 and verse 28. John 18, beginning in verse 28. It says, And they led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. It was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Then Pilate went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from thence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. This correspondence and dialogue that Jesus had with Pilate as a ruler and authority in Rome reveals unto us the knowledge that Jesus had perfectly of who he was. And if you continue reading in that story, Pilate goes back to plead with the people once again, Jesus has done nothing wrong, so there is a tradition that I'll release unto you a prisoner. And that's where we know the people choose Barabbas to be releasing them, a known murderer and criminal. And they cry out for Jesus to be crucified. You know, in this example... Jesus was confident in who he was. And as he was questioned on himself being a king, Jesus first responded and said, Did someone else tell you that about me, or did you come to that conclusion on your own? And then Pilate revealed, Well, it was actually your people, the very people who you claim to be king over, that delivered you to me. And, and then he asked him, Then are you really a king? And what did Jesus say? He said, My kingdom is not of this world. You see, Jesus didn't shy away from his lordship or his kingship over his people, but he was making a point that his kingdom wasn't an earthly, physical kingdom, and Jesus knew perfectly well who he was and what his mission was. And too often us in our lives as Christians have this very question of who am I? And we struggle with this identity. We struggle with trying to figure out what is it that I'm here on this earth to do? What is my purpose? What is my mission? What is it that I am here to accomplish in my life? 
I'll tell you, that struggle isn't just for young people. That's a struggle for all of us. Because there are a lot of voices out there that will dictate and tell us what we are or what we should be. But in Christ, we can find confidence. In Christ, we can find security. And in Christ, we can find a very clear identity of who it is God has designed us to be. And the first thing we need to understand about this identity is that God has created human beings as a very special creation. And every one of us that's here tonight is a wonderful, marvelous creation of God. And there are things about you that God has put into your very being that He designed for you. And it's very unique. But in that uniqueness, there is a commonality in the purpose and reason that He has created you. David in Psalm 139 writes, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they, are all, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Notice the uniqueness that the psalmist writes concerning this wonderful creation that God made in human beings. He said, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, this world wants to impose its thoughts and its ideas and its concerns about who we are and make us feel less than. It wants us to feel insecure. It wants us to feel anxious. It wants us to suffer from depression. Because all of those things separate us from the knowledge of understanding that what God made in human beings was a marvelous creation. And I want to tell you, the psalmist writes this not to boast of himself being a, a wonderfully made human being, but he's boasting of the greatness of God. That God had created such a being that was so complex in what it was, and it was given something that no other creation that God had made was given. To have an eternal part that could dwell with God and be at peace with God. And he said, marvelous are your works. And how many times do we feel... Less than that when we look at ourselves in the mirror. I tell you, our young people are bombarded with voices that will tell them they're not good enough. Will tell them they don't measure up to some societal standard of what beauty is. Or what knowledge and intelligence is. Or they don't fit a mold of what the, the world says they ought to be. And when they're outside of that mold, there's a lot of issues that can come up and arise. And we need to preach and teach our children from the time that they're born. You're a marvelous creation of God. And when I look at every child here and the younger ones and babies in mama's laps, guess what? Those babies are marvelous creations of God. And the purpose of that life is to one day glorify God with their voice and with their life and bring honor to His name. The psalmist says that He was skillfully wrought. It wasn't by accident. So what God designed for you to be was not an accident. It was something planned. It was something that he put thought into and skillfully worked to create you as a human being. The psalmist says, you, your eyes saw my substance. You saw the very makeup of my being. And isn't it amazing within every single cell of the trillions of cells that make up one person, Within every cell is the code necessary to continue replicating and making us into what God designed us to be. 
our God is truly awesome. And I know we use that word a lot of times and, and we say, you know, well, well, man, that was so awesome. And I catch myself, somebody says, well, little Jimmy hit a home run last night. I'm like, man, that's awesome. Well, he really hit a ground ball to shortstop, and the shortstop overthrew first base, and the first baseman overthrew third base, and the kid ran around all the bases and touched home plate. He didn't hit it 400 feet over the fence. That would be awesome. But I want to tell you what God creates is awesome. And you have a soul that no one else has, and it's yours. And it's something that God says is so valuable that Jesus teaches is so valuable that even if you gained the whole world and you lost your soul, you would come out on the wrong end of that deal. And our souls are so valuable that Christ encourages us to protect and shelter and nourish that soul so that one day that soul can be in eternity with God in a resurrected, glorious body. Because as marvelous as this physical body is that God created, guess what? It breaks down and one day it's going to die provided the Lord doesn't return first. But you know, from the time a child is born, that child begins to grow and develop. And as that child grows and develops, I want you to think about a baby that's born. The, the only voices that that baby hears are voices that love it, voices that nourish it, that, that hold it close to bring it comfort and peace. The, the voice that feeds it, the voice that changes its diaper, the voice that bathes it. But as that baby grows and develops, what happens is there's more and more voices that those ears begin to hear and listen to. When it comes to our identity and who we are, the only voice that matters is the voice of God. And when God's Word says we're wonderfully and marvelously made, I don't care what this world says about me. When this world tries to tell me I'm worthless, I'm not good enough, guess what? My God says he loves me. When this world says you can never measure up, I have a Savior who says I died for you. You know who I'm going to listen to? I'm going to listen to Jesus. And the reason I'm going to listen to Jesus is because Jesus knew exactly who he was. But here's why we have these identity crises. Because sometimes we get distracted and though the voice of God through His Word is crying out to us, telling us how valuable we are to Him, telling us that we have a soul and it's important to invest in spiritual things, we invest our time and our talent and our ability in, in, in a career. And then we're looking for the next step up. We're looking for the next promotion. We're looking for the next raise. And there's nothing wrong with being successful. You know what? I want our brethren to be successful because when they're successful, guess what? We can fund more work. I want you to be successful, but if that's the priority and that's your identity, there's a problem. And too often, that becomes the most important thing in people's lives. What about our fun and our recreation? Anything wrong with having a boat? I hope you have a boat, because you can take me out on your boat. I don't own a boat. I don't plan to own a boat. It's just work and money, but if you have a boat, I can be your friend. I like you. But you know, some people, their entire identity is wrapped up in what? The fun they can go have on the weekend. Giving no thought to spiritual things, giving no thought to the things that God is telling them are important, and they're just looking forward to getting out to the lake house. And that becomes their identity. What about their retirement accounts and their portfolios? And we work our whole life so hard to get to a point where we can retire. And then do what? For a few years, enjoy the fruits of what you labored for. 
You know, I want brethren to retire because when they retire, guess what? They can go to work in the kingdom. <laughs> you can go with me and travel and go do meetings and go to works with Jim. We'll take you. We need people doing that. But if that becomes your identity, living so you can retire, we've missed the point. Even our own families. I love my wife. I love my children. And, and they're a huge priority in, in the decisions that I make. But sometimes our own families... That can become our identity, and we forget the identity that God has given to us as his child. What about physical fitness? Anything wrong with being physically fit? No. i got to work on that a little bit. But you know, some people, that becomes their life. And they'll go spend hours and hours a day at the gym to what? To make this body into something that it's not going to live forever no matter how hard, how hard you work. But they're investing time and energy and effort in that. And sometimes that becomes the most important thing in their identity, and it creates a crisis within us. You know why? Because God is calling us to something else. What about this? <laughs> Are you a Red Raider? Are you a Longhorn? I think we have some of both in this crowd. Do those names matter? Well, Saturdays in October and in the fall they seem to, don't they? Now, there's nothing wrong with supporting your school or being a part of watching a game together, but some people, guess what? They wear that as their identity, and you're going to know where their allegiance falls. What about this? Are you a Republican or a Democrat? Well, we're going to find out next year, aren't we? There's another election in 2024, and guess what? Somebody's name is going to be drawn... <laughs> And guess what? We're going to have a president. And one side's going to be happy, one side's going to be very upset. But you know what we're going to do the Sunday after that? We're going to come together and we're going to worship God. But too often, what are we concerned about? We're concerned with where we fall in alignment with people. What about this one? You say we're past it. No, we're not. A couple years ago, somebody saw me. I was wearing a mask. You know what they said? Well, you must not have faith. I, I didn't know the scripture said that if I wore a mask, I didn't have faith. I, I didn't know that. And then one time I didn't wear a mask. Said, well, you're unloving. It didn't matter what we did. Because you had people so polarized on these opposite ends, identifying themselves by whether they wore a mask or not. And you know what God says? God says, love your neighbor. Whether they wear a mask or not. But we seem to forget that, don't we? You vaccinate your kids, you don't vaccinate your kids. I'll tell you, people get passionate about that. That's great. But is that going to keep us from worshiping God together? Is that going to keep us from being unified in the things that really matter? You see, brethren, if I, we're not making these things up, are we? And we wouldn't talk about them if we didn't see their impact in the brotherhood, in the churches that we work with. And I want to tell you, when we identify ourselves by these opinions and these ideas and these thoughts, that's the work of Satan. Working to divide God's people. So I want us to have a wake-up call tonight. I want us to understand where our true identity lies. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, what had he just gotten through talking about in Colossians chapter 2? He had just gotten through talking about a circumcision without hands, wherein, guess what? Body of sins or sins were carved away from a heart in baptism. And in that baptism, guess what? There's brought unity in the body of Christ. And obedience to that gospel brought about salvation and a rescue from sin. And now he's appealing to them and says, if you've done that, if you've been raised with Christ, quit setting your mind on things here on this earth and focus on spiritual things in heaven because you have a new identity. And with that new identity, you have a new mission, you have new purpose, and everything in your life is now different because you belong to God. Think about what Jesus said here in John chapter 18, verse 37. Pilate said, are you a king then? What did Jesus say? He said, I know why I'm here. He said, for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to what? The truth. Isn't that powerful to think about? Jesus standing there, about to be condemned to die, in the face of Pilate, the king, at least of that region, and Jesus says, I know exactly why I'm here, and I'm here to bear witness of the truth. Whether people accept it or not, guess what? The truth is always going to be the truth. And Jesus knew perfectly well what was about to happen. And then Pilate asked that question, what is truth? Isn't that a pivotal question for us to consider tonight? Because <laughs> you know what this world says? This world says there's a lot of truth. This world says you can find your own truth. And guess what? Nobody can ever argue with your truth because why? It's yours. And you are the creator and maker of your own destiny. So guess what? Live your truth. How prevalent is that idea? And wouldn't it be a great utopian society if we all could really just do that? At least that's what the world seems to think. But here's the reality. That can never exist. You know why? Because at some point, your truth is going to conflict with my truth. And just so you know, you know whose truth is most valuable? Chase's truth. You know why? Because it's mine. And I don't have a truth so I can be wrong. Nor do any of you. You see, this type of attitude toward the idea of truth is called relativism. And relativism says that everyone can have their own truth, and truth is just subjective to the person who decides what is true. But then there's another counter-argument to that that is called objectivism, where we understand truth lies outside of the individual and is objective, and it is true regardless of how I feel about it. Now, if objective truth exists then I have to shape my life and my morality and my decision-making to that truth, or I'm going to be in opposition to the truth. And that's a very dangerous place to be because truth regulates reality. But if truth is subjective, then we can just what? We can just create our own realities. And you can live in yours and I can live in mine, and we can just be at peace with one another. The problem with that is this. When relativism is true... The one who dictates the truth is whoever's in power. Think about that for a second. Because somebody has to have an ultimate truth that trumps other truth. 
And what are we seeing in our nation today? Oh, we hide behind that idea of, well, you can believe what you want to believe, and everybody just kind of go along and get along. But the truth is, when my truth and what I truly believe in and convicted on goes against what the powerful say is their truth, guess what I am? I'm a bigot and I'm hateful. But when objective truth is observed, everyone's held to the same expectation and standard. Jesus said it this way in John 17 and 17. He cried out to the Father, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So we have something we can be confident in, that we can go to and examine what is truth. God's word is truth. So when I'm making decisions and choices for my life, I'm going to consider what is it that the word of God teaches me? What is it that it's instructing me so that I can be in alignment with truth and the reality of who God is and what he has done for me? Once you look at Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, Oftentimes when I would study Romans 1, I would focus on the beginning there in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against who? Ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Immorality. And we think about immorality in our society and in our culture, and it's very prevalent. And you know what we do? We attack morality. We attack those items that we deem are immoral behaviors. Sexual promiscuity. Homosexuality lascivious lifestyles, drunkenness, drug use, all those kind of things, hatred, stealing, lying. And we say those behaviors are wrong. I'll tell you, those behaviors are happening because there's a greater problem. And as long as we're just attacking those symptoms, we never get to the heart of the actual issue, which is what? Which is there's a suppression of the truth. (laughs) And as long as we don't acknowledge the truth of God, we're going to have immorality. But if we can accept the truth of who God is and the authority he has over our life, then we have to make decisions in a different way. In immorality and all those behaviors that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against, we start to see change. But as long as we're fighting those physical battles in the physical realm, we're never going to win. That's why this is a spiritual war. And it's a war where truth is what's being fought over. You know how we know that? He says the truth can be clearly seen. That the truth has been manifested to them. God has shown it to them. How has he done that? Through the things that are made. And he says even in the creation that he made, you can observe what? The eternal power and Godhead. You You can see those things just from observing the creation that he made. No one can look at a human being and the magnificence of the systems that are in place just for us to function and live and say there's not intelligent design behind that creation. And that's one of the millions of things that are observable in our world. And science has even turned the corner where they know and acknowledge there's an intelligent designer. They're not ready to say it's God because if they acknowledge it's God, then they're subject to his truth. So the truth is always going to be suppressed and under attack. 
I want to share with you the greatest example of that we see today. What is the first basic truth that God communicates regarding man that he created? You ever thought about that? When, when, when God created everything and then he formed Adam of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, what's one of the first things we learn about that creation? Genesis 1 and verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Do you follow? First thing he says about this creation of man is he's made in the image of God. You know, when I look at every human being, no matter their lifestyle, no matter the sin that their life may be being destroyed with at the time, when I look at that person, guess what I'm looking at? I'm looking at someone that was created in the image of God. And that person has a soul. And that soul is no more value, less valuable than mine because it's made in the image of God. And I think that's something we have to remember. That even people who are caught up in sinful activities and behaviors who are denying God, God still made them in His image. And they still contain value and something that we need to be working to try to reach and have a relationship with. To lead them to a relationship with Christ that can give them a whole new identity. Because at some point somebody did that for us. But notice this second thing that he says about this creation. Male and female, he created them. I've been preaching for 23 years now. And I want to tell you, 23 years ago, there were some behaviors that we were being challenged with having to preach and talk about and discuss. I never thought, 23 years later, that we would have to have a debate over what is male and what is female. Maybe you saw that coming. I didn't see that coming. And I'm not making that statement to mock or ridicule. I'm just telling you, that's up for debate today. And it's the very first thing that God said about His creation of mankind. And my point is this. If they can argue that, morality doesn't even matter. Because what they're doing is saying, I don't care what God says I am. I'm going to make myself into whatever I want to be. And we worship the creature more than we do the creator. Young men, God made you a young man to grow and develop and be a man of God. To one day, Lord willing, be a husband and a father and raise a family of your own that would be dedicated in the kingdom of God. 
Young ladies, if you're a young lady, guess what? God created you, guess what? To be a young lady and to be a female. And why do we not think what God has created is good enough for us? Why do we have to look at that, something that's so easily observable in our natural world and order and say, no, no, God's not good enough. He can't tell me what I am. When He made you a marvelous creation to fulfill His will. And if you'll just accept that, there is so much that He offers when we simply fulfill the role that He's designed us for. And you know what starts to go away? All the anxiety. All the insecurity. All the depression. All those things that this world is assigning to us will be greatly minimized when we understand who God is. And that He's created us for His purpose, for His honor, for His glory, in His kingdom. Now, You know, Jesus dealt with this topic of the world having a certain thought toward him. And in Matthew 16, he poses this question to his disciples. Starting there in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, Jesus knew who he was. Notice what he said. He says, Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, he knew who he was, and he's appealing to his humanity and the relationship that he wanted to have with the creation of God in redeeming them. But he said, who do they say that I am? And they answered and said, some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You see, the world had a lot of different ideas of who Jesus was. Is that true today? Yeah. Some people will say, well, hardly anybody will, will, will deny that Jesus was actually a historical figure that lived in the time frame that the Bible puts him in anymore. But they will say, well, he, he might have been a, a good man. He was a teacher, a rabbi, maybe even a prophet. But there's no way he was the Son of God. There's no way he was Emmanuel. There's no way that he was the Messiah and the Savior. So as they answered that question, then he turns to his apostles and says what? But who do you say I am? You know why he asked the apostles this question? Because what you answer about this question determines your worldview. And if Jesus is just another man, if he's just another teacher, if he might be a prophet, that's different than saying Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. That he was God manifested in the flesh and that he was the perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of the world because he was raised from the dead. And ultimately, what did Peter say about Jesus? He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You see, Peter had inclination. He understood, I know who Jesus is. Do you know who Jesus is tonight or is he just someone that you have dreamed up in your mind or given him a personality that fits what you want Jesus to be? Because Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior of mankind. 
And apart from him, the truth is, there is no salvation that can be found. You know, who did Jesus himself claim to be? John 14 and verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if we're going to have a discussion about truth, and we have a, a man, Jesus, who says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. Not I'm a truth, or not I teach truth. He said, I am truth. And he said, no man comes to the Father but by me. That's an extraordinary claim, isn't it? I want to tell you, that puts us in a very difficult position when regarding truth. Because we either have to accept that Jesus was truth, and that he was that manifestation, and that he was the only one that could redeem man and bring him back to a reconciled relationship with God, or we're going to accept something else. Jesus made extraordinary claims. Jesus performed amazing miracles. Jesus lived an exemplary, sinless life. And Jesus claimed to be the only way to God. There's no mistaking who Jesus said he was. But again, tonight, we are asking the question, who is Jesus to you? Because here's what we want. We want Jesus the Savior. Don't we? We want forgiveness of sin. We want redemption. We want that opportunity to spend eternity with God. What we struggle with is that He's Lord. And the truth is, you don't get one without the other. If you want Him as Savior, He's got to be Lord. That means you have to consider His truth. You have to consider His will. You have to bend and shape your life to be in obedience with the truth that's revealed in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 and verse 12, Jesus offers us a new identity through His life and ultimately His death. He says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. I want you to think very hard about what it means to believe in Jesus. Do you believe He healed a blind man? Do you believe He healed a man that had never walked from the day He was born? Do you believe He took a severed ear from the head of Malchus and put it back and healed him? Do you believe that he calls Lazarus out of the grave and that really happened? You better. And believing him is more than just acknowledging that he existed. Believing him means, guess what? My life's going to reflect that belief system. And that truth is going to regulate everything that I am in regards to my relationship to this world and what it tries to identify me as. You see, Jesus was identified as God Almighty. Think about John chapter 20, starting in verse 26. It says, After eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. 
Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. I'll tell you, Jesus wants to be your friend. And he even tells us in Scripture that he's our friend because why? All the things of the Father he has shown to us, but we exalt him as Lord. I don't lower him to the standard of saying he's my friend. He's my Lord. He's my master. He's the one I serve. He's the one that dictates the decisions that I make. You know why? Because he's my Lord and my God. And that's what Thomas understood, and that's what Thomas stated there. And why is that so important? Notice what Jesus then says to Thomas. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You need life? We live in a broken world. And I know weeks like this, we're enthusiastic and, and we're building ourselves up in our faith and we're being encouraged every night as we study the will of God. But I want you to know, out there is a broken world. You know what they need? They need to believe in Jesus. There's no legislation that'll fix it. There's no organization that's going to band together and, and make peace and, and reconcile all things because Jesus already offered that. And the world needs to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when we do that and we believe on His name, He is able to give us a new life and identity. And if you are a Christian, a child of God, you're not your own. That means sometimes we have to be willing to do difficult things for God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And as this world tells us we're worthless, as this world says we're not good enough, as this world says there's nothing redeeming about us, all along we have a Savior who purchased us with His own blood. Why do you need someone else to tell you how valuable you are when your Savior has already made that evidently clear through His sacrifice? Stop seeking approval and validation from other people because Jesus has cried out, giving you all the validation that you need. Therefore, glorify God. Because He's done that, our response to that is we glorify God. We serve Him. And every soul that's added to his kingdom enhances the glory that God receives on this earth. And one day, that body of believers, guess what? Will be called home. And there will be a resurrection of the dead. And those who have died in Christ will rise. And if we're alive when that happens, we'll be changed. And his church will be glorified forever. And you and I get to be a partaker of that glory if we glorify Him in this body. God didn't purchase junk. 
no matter what this world tells you about yourself, you need to know there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Because in Christ, there's forgiveness. In Christ, there's justification. In Christ, there's sanctification. And in Christ, there's reconciliation with God. And too often times, we search for all those things in worldly ways. And all we do is create a larger emptiness within us. Where do you stand with God tonight? What's your identity? When this world looks at you, who do they see? What do they see? Because we're going to be identified some way. And if we're truly going to serve Christ, when this world looks at us, they're not even going to see us. They're going to see Jesus. Because our life is going to be hidden with Christ in God. And eventually, when we stand before God, and that judgment is pronounced, and we give account of the things done in this body, whether good or bad, there's one decision, one choice, that can change that. But you can't wait till that day to make that choice. You have to make it now. And Christ offers an invitation to you. In Romans chapter 6, the Bible is very clear. It says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him through baptism into death, that like His Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. You need a new identity tonight? Jesus can give it to you. You want to lay down all the pride and what you've built for yourself, claiming who you are as your identity maker, and lay that aside and pick up what Christ is offering you as an identity that will save your soul, Jesus offers that in obedience to baptism. A new life, a new walk, a new manner of living, a new mission, a new purpose. Everything can be changed in one moment if you're willing to obey and accept that offer. We're going to stand in just a moment and sing an invitation song. That song talks about peace. It says, It is well with my soul. Tonight, if your relationship with God is causing strife in your soul, then as we sing that song, you need to make a change. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never put Christ on in baptism. You've never partaken in His death and His burial and His resurrection. Putting on that new man and having the body of sin destroyed, then you need to do that. And when you do that in faith and the power of what Christ can do through that operation, He gives you a new life with Him. And when you stand before Him, None of the things you've done in this world, accolades you've built up for yourself are going to matter. All that's going to matter is do you have the blood of Christ or not? And He makes that invitation to you tonight to come. If you're here as a brother or sister and you're struggling with sin, 
And when you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't see a child of God. But you see a sinful person in need of forgiveness. Praise God, we have an advocate. Praise God, we have one who petitions the Father on our behalf that we can go to in prayer. And that blood that's powerful enough to wash us from our sins and destroy the body of sin is powerful enough to cleanse and renew again through that avenue of prayer and a repentant heart. Let's wear the identity God designed for us as his people. Nothing more, nothing less as we look forward to our eternity with God. Make that sure tonight as together we stand and sing.